0: Welcome to the Jim and Mickey show. It is May 30th. We are coming towards the end of May. I am Jim Garrity with your co-host Mickey White. It's another special episode, special in the sense that we have time to record a show this week. Mickey, how are you doing? Because I have a bunch of stuff on my mind that I'm just itching to get to. But I figure I should like, you know, start the show by being social.
1: Oh, that's very thoughtful of you, Jim. Thank you so very much. And welcome back, listeners. It feels like it's been forever. Um, and I don't know if it really has or not, but I think it's been at least like a month because it feels like it's been forever, but you and I have both been traveling quite a bit in that last couple of weeks. We have. Um, and Absolutely. so you know, we've got a lot of things to cover today. We may run a little long and I don't think our listeners really mind when we do that as long as we're interesting for the full time. <laughs> um, but we may run a little long if we get into all the different topics that we were talking about pre-show. Um, one of the things I do feel like we need to hit on because Even though I know at this point when someone's listening, even if they're listening the first day we released this, that Game of Thrones has been over for about a week or two. And at this point, you know, people are already through their grieving stages, almost into acceptance, I think. Um, And I think that that's a good thing. But I I did want to touch base with you because you didn't watch. You watched the first season, right? And then didn't watch and then jumped in at the end?
0: Yeah, I was not a habitual viewer. Uh, enjoyed it for a while, got too dark, uh, and then in that last season, I wanted to watch it, and I would find that like by Monday morning, wouldn't watch it Sunday night, and by Monday morning, everyone had already talked it to death. So, but I did watch the finale, and I must have been—I might be the single person in the entire world who watched the finale and said, "Yeah, it was pretty good. That's fine." <laughs> yeah.
1: Now I, I guarantee you that our listeners will all have differing opinions on this on the show ending and what they think about it. I know me personally, um, I, I, I feel like I guess the biggest problem is that at the very end, they decided, you know, we don't get a hero, but is that really all that surprising because it's Game of Thrones. Did you expect a happy ending? Like
0: yeah. You know, this this was the ultimate show about not having happy endings. And so mm-hmm. my suspicion was is they were gonna have they needed this was about as happy an ending as they could get. You know, the, the the idea that you know in the end, a bunch of the Stark children things turned out okay, you know. Right. Bran's but the on same, the throne. I, I
1: I just I I have trouble with it because Bran had become such a weirdo. Now, mm-hmm. my sister came up with a theory that I feel like is worth floating, um, in that in the time that she's had to process all of this, and again, go through a grieving process, come to terms, she came up with the theory that actually I'm starting to warm up to the more I think about it, which is this, that if brand knew there at the end, you know how he was being very smug, and maybe you missed some of the comments because you didn't see all of the episodes, but throughout the end, he started kind of saying these things like, well, this is where I'm supposed to be, and at the very end, he said something about, do you think I would have come all this way otherwise? Um, And so basically kind of being very smug about knowing that things were going to be happening. And so my sister has come up with a theory that Bran, who was always a climber, right? We knew this, um, had started climbing when he was young, but we don't know why. Um, That he went back in time. And he actually affected this entire story from climbing up there to catch them to getting pushed the entire thing. Because he can transfer through time. Um she felt like he she saw this as a possible ending. So he went back to make sure that this mm-hmm. was he was able to manipulate the situation. So far as and, and here's where she goes real deep, if you will, is the idea that he is actually the voices that the mad king hears. Mm. And also the voice in the fire.
0: Kind of the, the Kaiser Sose ending. Yes. The, idea, the Lord of
1: Light. Yes. yes. This was that all he's,
0: a plot from the very beginning and that, you know, what seemed like this random ending had been, you know, like I, I, am intrigued by that. I would salute every fan who comes up with those really intriguing ideas. But my attitude would be, if you are a creator and you tell this story and the ending is nothing like what it actually appears to be on the screen. And in fact, there's this whole other thing that's not going on. You kind of have an obligation to tell the viewer that. (laughs)
1: But isn't Game of Thrones really about creating fan fiction and conspiracy theories and fan theories and ideas about what could happen to these characters that, quote, they're not telling you?
0: I don't know. You think George R.R. Martin would agree? (laughs) Yes. It's not about about the fans' theories. It's about my theories. Well, I
1: think think that George R.R. Martin would agree, but I think that the HBO show, separate from his books, which is a very different storyline – Some, you know, some of the characters are the same, but some of the characters are not. And so I think that's significant. You know, there's a lot of blending of characters, becoming of one, um, and some elimination of characters that are very major in the book that don't appear at all on screen. So I think that that's something that's significant um, for the fans. But I also think that, like, in the way that HBO told it, they encouraged it. Mm. You know, yeah. and you can't yeah. expect oh, people yeah. who have become so accustomed to this over the course of eight or nine years to suddenly be oh yeah, this is what happened totally yeah <laughs> yeah
0: um and also like, i I recognize a bunch of, of the complaints about this final season are people who got really used to having ten episodes, and instead mm-hmm. they got and they got six and they're they're they, they feel like they got gypped out of having four more episodes, okay, we I did that, but these guys want to go off and do star wars, and so they this was the you know fast vor- forward version of, of the mm-hmm. story. And you know, I, I can I can I can get that. But in the end, um I, I don't think that it was wait, I think what the other thing also reflects is a lot of people got really invested in the the character of Danny. That they really wanted her to be uh the heroic icon the the fem, you know, the feminist heroic icon, um the 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 neocon who goes into desert kingdoms with superior firepower. <laughs> and overthrows brutal rulers.
1: Well, I and- think it's fair to say that Danny got the shaft as well. Like just as as John did, he doesn't get to be the hero. Danny like, like Danny actually becomes the villain. Did
0: you think um, the turn was was implausible or not well well grounded?
1: I felt like the turn that she made um I, it's very hard for me, I guess, because what I would say is that going into the season Danny was one of my favorite characters. Mhm. And by the time the season had ended, I felt like they had changed her character. I didn't feel like there was enough development behind it to back it up. Um, they, I felt like they may have stretched it a bit on the idea that, you know, she was the daughter of the Mad King. And because she believed in destiny, then she was bound to go mad as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that was the character that they portrayed as this, like, again, very strong. you say feminist. I hate that word because, you know, I don't like them. Um, but I liked Danny and <laughs> mm. I liked John and I liked that story, but we knew we weren't going to get a happy ending. I just didn't realize it was going to be like, I almost feel like the writers of the show decided to be like, Oh, you guys have already guessed all these theories. So we're going to just going to, you know, yes, yeah. turn it on its head and do something we, else entirely.
0: This was the surprising scenario that we, because we felt we had to surprise you. And, uh, yes,
1: yeah. we felt like we had to surprise you and had we not, Come up with something that would be, you know, mm. well, it, it, you know I, I suppose if, you know, Danny and John end up on the throne, you know, are people really happy with that? Or do they feel like that's too typical? Yeah. That's, you know, that's a happy ending that Game of Thrones would never give us. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's the other problem is that people complain about the lazy writing, and it did get a little sketch towards the end, um, I will say, but that's primarily because it's one of the best written shows on television. And it's very hard, I think, to keep up that consistency over a period of time with so many different characters.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I also put it like, I, there was a part in me that felt like having two of the most heroic characters effectively leaving, actually, all three of them actually leaving the kingdom, right? Uh, Sansa is now the 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 North is independent, right? She's now yep. the North, and we're not we're not. It's now the six kingdoms. It's not the seven. We're 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 you know we're through with you guys. Uh, it's that's that little war of independence. Um, Arya is off sailing. She's she's you know into possibly into a, a spinoff series, right? You know she's going to go off and explore, and John goes off uh, you know north of the wall, and he's my suspicion is he's going to find some other redhead wildling girl to you know. Um, to tell him who will, who will recognize that he does know a thing or two, uh, you know, nothing, Jon Snow,
1: although she liked it when he did that thing with his tongue.
0: There you go. So the, but the, just being that all three of them found their happy <laughs> ending leaving the kingdom. That in the well, end,
1: right. And there's something the to be said about Bran being stuck in the kingdom, but he can yeah. leave anytime he wants.
0: <laughs> let's face it, half the time, Brand's not there even when... Right, he- I'm going to go
1: for a while. I'll be back, like, later. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... Um, I-, I will tell you this, and I will tell our listeners this. There were two moments in the series finale that tore me up, and you already know this story. Um. But one was actually when Dragon came to get Danny and picked her up with his little talon. hmm And, you know, and he blew away the Iron Throne, the thing that had really caused his mother to die, in his opinion. And he gathered her up and carried away. It destroyed me. Mm. Like, I am not someone who cries at things that are on television. I am not someone who, generally speaking, gets emotional about anything fictional. And to be honest, I I actually had real tears Mm. when the dragon picked her up.
0: Like, every, every viewer at home saw their pet in the dragon at that time. Wasn't uh, that
1: the case? Right? I think. That was,
0: you know, it was projection onto the screen. Mm. Um, the one thing I'll know, and and folks who remember and the, the
1: – I was just going to say in the second part of that where I felt real emotional strings being pulled was when Don finally was reunited with Ghost. There you go. Again. Because Ghost was character. by far one of my favorite characters.
0: People really care about the dragons and the wolves, and the humans are pretty expendable. We, we know it's Game of Thrones. People, characters, right. kids, characters come and go, but the uh, the animals uh, stay on. This In the end, this is this is like John Wick. This is the, uh, <laughs> you know, you killed my pet. That's what the entire story of Vengeance <laughs> is about. <it>. Um, <laughs> No, but okay, so my, my one observation, I, I did feel like if, if you're gonna make the idea that the dragons were were sentient and had a much more uh, sophisticated thinking going, and most of the time people thought of them as like, you know, big, like dogs the size of a giant building. They could breathe fire and just destroy everything. Um and if, if it really was one of those things where the the dragon the whole time it had this philosophical conclusion. That the throne is what actually uh, causes all the evil in this this kingdom, and the pursuit of power is the evil itself. And the single best way that he can, ju- you know, that he can uh, achieve justice for the slaying of Danny is to take Tyrion,
1: away the- oh. who tells this story. Mm. I, I truly believe this story is told in the voice of Tyrion mm. after all of this being over. By the way, yeah. Um, I feel like he's the one who ends up writing the story of Game of Thrones. Um, Mm -hmm. and I say this, even though everybody had thought it was Samwell Tully, there was a lot of things that Tyrion said and did throughout that ultimately ended up being the thread that wove everything together. And when Danny had taken leave when they were still, um, outside of King's Landing, I I can't remember, they might have been in Slaver's Bay, which became Dragon's Bay. Um, And at one point, Danny took leave and someone needed to go feed the dragons and take care of the dragons. And Tyrion proceeds to explain to everyone that he's been told that dragons are very smart and they could, you know, remember things and know people and understand. And so he was hoping that they recognized that he was a friend of their mother's Mm -hmm. when he went down to feed them. And I think like throughout, there were different things that he said that I think that brought things together. But that hit home with me when the dragon did what he did, and again, he was already a favorite character. Just like he became the hero, Um, and then obviously Ghost.
0: Yeah, well, in in both of those situations, you have the the person who's, uh, you know, the 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 idea that these character, these animal characters, may actually be smarter than all the human characters on screen. Um, But Mm. I I also, I I, the next I have like, you know, boy, why didn't the dragon, you know, uh, off. Uh, why do you just you know flame broil John Snow? And everybody's like, He's a Targaryen, Jim. He can't be burned, duh. Right. And Jim. You, know, you know, obviously this assumes that the dragon knows this, but two, um, like the dragon can't kill him any other way. He's got big well, talents, he can't eat him. He, he, he can't could, uh That's true. You no. oh, you know what? He could pick him up and drop him. Right? Knock a knock a big castle tower onto him or something mm-hmm. like that. You no. Know? He's a target. You know, he's immune to fire. It doesn't mean he's immune to death. You know. So right. I, but the, the dragon
1: didn't blame John. The dragon yeah. blamed the throne.
0: Yeah, which is you know, which is probably a more interesting one. Although, again, I think the creators could have made that a little bit clearer. Um, but am I am I safe to say, Mickey? Since we've you know we're coming up on on fourteen minutes of discussing Game of Thrones, <laughs> that your reaction to Game of Thrones was the second biggest meltdown depicted on HBO in the last few weeks. <laughs> How's that for transition? <laughs> um, yes. So are you watching Chernobyl? That's question I,
1: one. Yes, I am watching Chernobyl. And I will say to our listeners, if you are not watching Chernobyl, make an effort. Go find it and watch Chernobyl. Yeah. It is a five-episode miniseries on HBO. We are through four of them at this recording. And, Jim, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you because this was originally your introduction to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, you know, I've been intrigued by it. I know a big, uh, Midnight at Chernobyl, a big book about, I've always been kind of intrigued by it. Um, and so this is the, the epic big budget filmed. I'm going to say it's on location in Ukraine. Pretty obviously they did not film in Chernobyl. Um, but I marvel at where they must've found old power plants and old places to do this sort of filming because you can't tell any green screen work or something like that. Um, but And so some people are like, oh, is this, uh, you know, Jim, is this an anti-nuclear power screed? No, 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 this is, this is you know, <clears throat> I, I don't think it's a screed at all, but it very much is about the, the dysfunction of the Soviet state. Uh, and the guy who created it said, look, this is the most accurate depiction I can get to. There are a couple of contrary accounts uh, where there's been a, co- a contradiction. I've gone with the less dramatic one. I've tried to not overstate it. Um, and it, it starts with the explosion. I'll be honest, the first episode actually didn't wow me until towards the end, um, mm-hmm. when, when the local officials are trying to, that night, are trying to figure out what to do. And there's this, you know, it's, they're all in a room, they're kind of tense, they keep, ins- the guys who are on the ground say, like, it can't be, the engine, the, the radiation can't be that bad. Um, and of course, at one point, mid, you know, mid-report, he vomits on the table <laughs> in this under-conference mm-hmm. room, indicating, no, it's probably pretty bad. Um, yeah. The entire room waits at this old man sitting in the corner. And I don't know if we ever get the name of this character, but, you, but he's basically the old veteran. He's yes. the guy everybody in the room respects. And when he speaks, everyone goes quiet. And you're expecting some sort of you know, words of wisdom right? from a guy who's seen it all, served in the wars and seen you know, life and death, and he knows what to do. And he stands up and he gives him this speech and he says, you know, comrades, as communists, our duty is to not tell the people. This will only distract them from their duties to the state and spread a needless panic. You know, we must not evacuate. We he must proceeds not ev- to
1: say yeah. that they will become heroes mm. based on their actions of yes. this day. Yes. And I felt that that was an excellent overture of the entire telling of the story. Mm. Because if it does nothing else, I think it gives Americans a very clear picture. And based on what I'm reading from expatriates of the Soviet Union, um, this is a pretty accurate portrayal.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: it's pretty bleak, Jim.
0: No, it is. Like, I
1: feel like if this is what communism and socialism looks like, I think that that is really freaking scary. Yeah.
0: And let me make make an observation, because I I wrote about this earlier this week. Some people gave gave me grief about the headline and clearly didn't read that far down into it. Um, This is about as full- On the internet? Yeah, go figure. You don't
1: say, Jim. Um, Somebody just read the headline and freaked the fuck out? No way. Um, Look, this is a really
0: brutal denunciation of the Soviet Union. No two ways about it. Um, but I think the instinct to be dishonest in a crisis, the the instinct to th- say, oh, it's not that bad, uh, the instinct to be in denial when you're presented with a really serious problem, I think it's a human trait, right? You know, there's no system of government. It's that's a stage complete- of grief. Yeah. Um, there's no system. Because they're shock
1: and there's denial and they come really quick.
0: Yeah. In, in, you know, to be immune to this. Um, now, I think free market uh, democracies and free societies where there's an independent press and checks and balances in the government probably make it more likely that we'll get to the truth in a faster than enclosed systems like that. Um, but the, the, the you know, episode after episode is just uh, brutally painful watching people in command make the wrong decision over and over again, usually out of fear of accountability and or fear of being embarrassed. Well, I
1: think that one of the things that it points out very very clearly is that it is a systemic issue. Yeah. Um this is not an individual problem. This was a problem from top to bottom throughout the entire Russian society or at that time Soviet Union. Yeah. yeah. Um and so, you know, this was a problem throughout and it was clearly down to the people um because the people were so programmed to be good comrades, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um that they understood that as part of their core. Whereas, you know, America's very proud of our country. We're very proud people. We can be obnoxious about it, apparently. Um, other people are proud of their country as well. And mm-hmm. if you don't believe me, check out all the migrants still carrying their country flags. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said this, or go to a soccer game. Now, having said this, it's weird because the Russians have a very different tone about them in general. They freak Mr. Bias out, by the way. <laughs> You should know this, that, like, generally speaking, in any time that we have been in in and around um, people of different nationalities, the Russians freak Mr. Bias out because he feels like they're very, they emit a very cold feeling from them, um, having grown up in that environment. And so in watching this, again, all of his fears are confirmed. (laughs) And I'm watching it thinking, like, is it possible that when you remove all of the humanity in humans, this is what they look like.
0: Uh, yeah. Everybody who is in the chain of command has, has been drilled into them almost to be like an automaton to follow orders. Yes. And, and you know, the human reaction of if we do that, lots of people will die um, to varying degrees has been squeezed out of them. Although I think it's kind of, it's, in, you know, episode by episode, it's intriguing to watch to see how that kind of eventually makes its way to the surface. Uh, how many episodes in are you, if you don't mind? my Four. Episode? Okay. Okay. So my my favorite is in episode four, um, Skellin Skarsgard, the guy who hung out in the Thor movies, um, on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> when when something doesn't work, gives an epic tantrum that has me. I, I was nearly peeing myself. So in a oh, way, it's hilarious, Unbelievably it's dark. But if you've ever wanted to tell your boss, no boss, the idea didn't work. Um, it was beautiful. And, and yeah, you're...
1: no, I agree. I think he, he deserves an award for that scene alone.
0: All right. So let me ask you this. What do you, you know, something that threw me off initially and sometimes I'm okay with it. Sometimes I think it's a bit of an issue. This is mostly a British cast, mostly using their native accents, not yes. doing Russian accents, but anything that's on the radio, TV, loudspeaker, et cetera, is done in Russian with subtitles. How is that working for you?
1: I prefer that.
0: Interesting. Okay,
1: I think that as an American, we would have struggled to see American accents perform these tasks. And while British accents still sound foreign to us, mm. I think it, the only other way it could have been done is if it had been done entirely in Russian with subtitles, and they probably didn't want to go that way. Because in doing it in English with, you know, quote, yeah. Russian accents, it would just be weak.
0: Um, that very much was the, the, the creator, creator was asked about that. And he said that, look, uh, we didn't want people doing Boris and Natasha.
1: Oh, see, um, there you go.
0: You know, and and I, I think, look, it's not, inter- you know, the, 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 almost everybody in the cast is giving lights out performances. So oh I can say yes. this is not working. I will say that every once in a while, um, at the beginning of episode four, there's a soldier trying to get an old woman to leave a farm. And she basically gives her life story in, mm-hmm. like, two or three minutes about everything she has survived in this corner of Ukraine. The famine, the rise of the communists, the Holomodor, World War II, the coming of... You know, all the different things that you know, that she's seen. And basically her attitude is, I'm not leaving my farm. And it's fine, but the woman has a very almost upper-class British accent. Yes. And to me it was like, you know, this was a scene if you'd done it in Russian. And this, is, this may be because I, you know... um, without going into too many details of Jim's personal life, I spend a decent amount of time around Russians. I know Russian accents. Know. <laughs> um, and, you yeah, know, that's it. I've listened to Babushka's give their life stories about all the different things they've heard, all the different horrors they've witnessed, and how they survived, and all that kind of stuff. And so to me, I think that's the if, you, if you'd done that scene in Russian, nothing would have, you know, with subtitles. I think it would, there's, there's like a tone, there's a diction um there's just a way of saying things that i I, I, that's the one scene where i was like "Mm," you know
1: no i would agree with you and again it goes in part with you know i think mr bias fear of them Mm -hmm. um is there is a tone and addiction
0: with the way poetry or or like yeah yes but it's very
1: like again it's got it's got that very sharp tone to it like like they have experienced things Mm -hmm. if that makes sense um yeah. But, that was a very powerful scene. I think it would have been more powerful if the whole thing had been done in Russian with subtitles. Yeah. Um, um, but other than that particular scene, which did stand out for some reason as being odd to me as well, but I'm not sure if that was why or if it was just an odd scene.
0: Uh, you know, um, a lot of these scenes are, here's how the system is reacting. Yes. And every now and then, that you know, we also get to see the story of a firefighter or the firefighter's wife. Every once in a while, they cut away to, She's a dumb here's Yeah. here's life on the ground. Here are the people who are most affected by it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes they're they're storylines. Sometimes they are just one or two scenes um, that I think give you a sense of how um, I mean, like this. They you okay. I
1: think a lot of these are probably representative of hundreds of people who experience these oh, yeah. things. Oh, yeah. You know was... what I mean? They're not one hundred percent true. I don't know how that all works no. in, but I feel like they're more conglomerations of stories of people. Are you um, ready for
0: detail that they did not put in this, and I'm a little surprised. And I this is coming from, let's just say, you know, people Jim knows, and I'll leave it at that. So they skip <laughs> over May first in in uh, the Soviet calendars, May Day, right? So the biggest, I
1: know this. I know what you're about to say. Go yeah. ahead.
0: So they had May Day parades. Outside yeah. in Kiev, red, yes. day, like, like three, like two days after it blew, radiation is co you know is floating down on people, and they didn't even cancel it. Like that's you know, yeah. now, they I, didn't I, tell I, I, anybody I there. But maybe just for space or yeah.
1: Oh well, I, that was not what I thought you were going to say, but it it does involve May Day, and yes. it involves what the children were wearing. Mm. And apparently on May Day in the Soviet Union, the children wear white to school. Okay. I believe and, that. and the kids in the background, when this is happening, when the, you know, everybody's starting to be evacuated, the kids were all wearing white uniforms and the Russian people that had seen it, the former Soviets
0: mm-hmm.
1: who had seen it, found that detail, like the layers of detail. Yes.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Just the, Yeah. Um, and I, cause by episode four, I was like, okay, how did they, you know, all the, the old telephones, the old costumes, all, every attention to detail on this, this thing is amazing. And for at a level that most Americans are not going to recognize. And I I go back. So again, I, I, yesterday I had to check it's filmed in Ukraine, which I think Mm -hmm. helps probably gives you access to all that stuff, access to people who lived through it and could tell you if certain points were, you know, uh, not accurate, but like really, you know, super duper terrific so far um and i hope this gets remembered come emmy time because this is you know arguably one of the best things hbo has ever done and I think it was kind of funny because everybody was like you know oh what are they going to do after game of thrones you know what could they possibly do i mean it's a miniseries but uh, mm-hmm. you know yeah, maybe, well, maybe, that, maybe that's the good and series. bad
1: of it is that you know we know pretty much how it ends mm-hmm. um we know <laughs> what happens But at the same time, I think we as Americans specifically do not know a lot of these details. Um, Let's face it, the majority of us don't remember a lot of things that happened before we were born. Um, As in, we don't remember them as in we're not really taught about them. We don't pay any attention to them. History basically starts at our birthday. And so I feel like it was a story definitely worth telling. I don't feel like it was, I don't feel like thus far that it's been an anti-nuclear power film in any yeah. way, and I see it more I guess as a film than a series, but it's a series um, in any way, I think that it's much more about the ineptitude of socialism and communism.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and... It's, it's very
0: anti-incompetent Soviet management of nuclear But power. it also tells <laughs> a very personal power.
1: story mm. of those mm. that are forced to deal with it in that system.
0: Yeah, um, and, and how much that exacerbated mm. what was already going to be an extremely Difficult situation that was done much, much worse.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And now I guess my only question to you in in transition on with with Chernobyl was obviously, you know, there's not going to be a season two. (laughs) Right. So there's no follow up. I do hope that they do remember them at any time. I found that, like I said, the first episode was a little slow moving, but that's because of all of the necessary setup for what Hmm. was about to happen, I think, and take place. Um, I think it's been incredibly well told. It's uh it's interesting watching the characters. I, I mentioned that I don't like the nurse. Or I'm sorry, not the nurse, the the pregnant woman who went to visit her fireman husband. Um I characters like that, you know, obviously I'm one hundred percent certain that they agree they existed and that let, let me ask you this. Are you how do you feel about her? Do you feel sympathetic towards mm-hmm. her? Do you want to like punch her in the head? Like where are you at? Yeah.
0: So you could argue in some ways you might argue this is the greatest horror movie of all time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's you know, certain elements of the music, certain elements of, you know like you're watching these characters do things that you really Oh, you know, again, you know the, the you, know, you can't see the radiation. But the soundtrack tells you. <laughs> when right. comes you get that ominous music, right? And sometimes the uh, uh the, the film stock gets lighter, almost like the, the you know what we're watching has been irradiated, right? You know. Uh, oh,
1: when they were on the roof.
0: Right? You know, they, 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 yes. the, the lighting of the scene changes, kind of saying to you in the audience, hey, we know what's going on here. They're getting exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, characters make bad decisions, probably for perhaps understandable reasons, you know, not understanding how much a single touch of someone could end up. Um, I mean, the, the film is just full of this. So, you, know, you see them washing things mm-hmm. and the water running off and recognizing that, guys, that water is still full of radiation. It's gonna flow somewhere, and if it ends up in the water table, you are SOL. Yep. Um, you know, there's all kinds of those moments in which we know we, in the audience, perhaps if we know know a little bit about uh, nuclear power and radiation and and you know things like that, we know the the, the you know the, the consequences, and the people on the screen don't. Um,
1: and that's a you know. That's they, an there's, excellent there's description a... of it, um, because that is exactly how you feel as you're watching it. You know what's about to happen. It's very suspenseful the music the film the lighting everything that's done to capture the suspense and the and truly thriller feeling um and and maybe horror feeling of the moment um and it is where you almost want to yell out to the people on screen stop doing that you know or don't um, go you know it's like, it's the don't go down there
0: yeah I was um, going to say, so it's good to note. Jared Harris uh, is the guy who's kind of the lead actor in this. He's playing uh, the heck's name, kind of like the lead sci- like scientist. The in scientist, course. yes. Yes, uh, I believe Valery Legasov, right? Um, sure. And so he is. Um, once he appears on the scene, like all of a sudden we have somebody to root for, right? We have somebody who, like, we're the first couple, the first half hour, we're watching people react to it really under, you know, underestimating the danger of what just happened. They think When uh, the just, old
1: man stands up and says that yeah. there'll be heroes for covering it up, you're yeah. like, this is going to be different.
0: As soon as Legasov shows up and we have a character who we can kind of root for, who who understands just how bad it is and just how dangerous it is and, and all that. And my, obviously my second favorite character, actually my favorite character, so I, I just looked it up here. Um, played by Stellan Skel Stellan guard is Soviet Deputy Prime Minister Boris Sherbin Sher Shcher- Yes. Um, uh, who is so, a little bit more of a layman and a little bit more of the. He's the party apparatchik who starts to get understands the depth of the problem. I think my favorite scene in so far is that uh, he gets a lecture on a helicopter of how a nuclear reactor works, and we think this guy is just another apparatchik. He's just you know, he's not yes. he doesn't care. He's you know oh, fine whatever. And then they get on the ground, and he looks like he's about to nod and you know, agree with the local officials. Yes, it's no big deal. We've got it under control. And all of a sudden, he starts asking questions, and you can tell he paid attention during the lecture. This guy's got yes. a brain in his head, and he doesn't automatically trust the assessment of everybody on the ground. Um, and he, too, is probably the, uh, the closest thing we have. I guess also the, uh, one, of the, one of the heroes we have to root for. Who wants to do the right thing, but is constrained by the system, and is trying to figure out how to work within this system to fix things? And uh, you know, it's you know, all and again, he has the hilarious, you know, you know, flip out uh, uh, tantrum to
1: his bosses, which is, uh, is absolutely stunning, just an absolutely stunning yeah. performance. And again, I would say across the board, truly well acted, well told, and I would recommend that everyone. Um, take a chance, take an opportunity and check that out. We are going to talk about, because it seems like we're in a period of where historical dramas and things of that nature seem to be making a little bit of a, an up, um, an uprising, if you will. But Jim, before I get into the other conflict <laughs> that I want to talk about um, and and some other things we've got planned for later, I, I wanted to step in here for a minute. And I hope you don't mind, but mm-hmm. and share with our listeners some of the things that are going on in your life, <laughs> um, because it's been a little crazy and I cannot talk about, obviously, Eastern European countries. <laughs> um, without telling our listeners and, and specifically having you tell the listeners um, your story of your recent visit to Austria. It wasn't exactly a social call, was it?
0: No. So um, for everyone, you know, wh- how did you end up doing that, Jim? Um, well, a couple months ago, the U.S. Embassy in Austria, uh, they have a speakers program. They apparently bring in somebody about once a month, uh, sometimes more frequently, sometimes a little bit less frequently. Said, hey, uh, you, you know, we'd like to have you come out and talk. What do you want to talk about? Uh, so we talked. We batted around a couple of different topics, uh, things that might be of interest to them. We focused on um, 2016 election, uh, Russian efforts to put out disinformation and hacking, uh, and and to me, I was focused on the, the social media aspect, the stuff they were putting on Facebook, the stuff they were putting on Twitter. You probably experienced a couple of those, you know, uh, interactions with those people who were uh, putting hateful stuff out there. You know, those, you know, John G six four nine seven two eight one and stuff like yes. that. Yes. Um, and uh, they're like, oh, yes, this is, you know, people are definitely interested in that. I put it together. Um, one of the points I, I, you know, I think that may have, they may have appreciated was my point that, uh, you know, people, did this affect the election? Well, it affected it somehow. Did it swing the election? Did it make the def- definition? I don't think it did, in part because the Russian messaging was targeting people who already had opinions. They were not targeting people who were undecided. But to me, that's almost a moot question because, one, the 2016 election is over. And two, whether it affected one vote, whether it affected 10,000 votes, whether it affected, you know, 100,000 votes, I don't want Russian uh, uh, operatives messing around in my elections. I don't want them putting out stuff on social media. Now, if you're, you know, Boris the Russian, right? notice how we come full circle on this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, always you know if you're Boris the Russian and you want to go on Facebook and say Hillary Clinton stinks that's fine it's a free country well we're a free country Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can go and do that but when Boris the Russian goes on and says hi I'm John from Iowa and I hate Hillary Clinton well now you're dealing with fraud now you're dealing with a misrepresentation and that's where you get into uh, the violation of laws and and violation of I
1: understand all of that (laughs) but I think that one of the things we have to consider is that people are stupid Ah. Um, the the government is also stupid. Mm -hmm. So in combination, I feel like it could very well be that Russia was putting out a lot of you know, misinformation with troll Mm -hmm. farms. And we do know that people were attacked by whom we're not sure at this point.
0: No, no, um, no, no. no it, was, it was Russia. It was the St. Petersburg Internet Research Agency, yeah. uh, a technically private institution, but very closely tied to the Russian government. Um, we know that the Podesta emails were hacked by the GRU, which is the Russian military intelligence unit, um, and passed on. That, that stuff is not in dispute. It's also worth noting, by the way, Mickey, that uh, Iran is now in this game. What Russia did, pretty much anybody can do. Um, is that really or, that shocking? Well, I know that no, and the question will then be: All right, how do we, as you know, as a free country, adapt to to it? But here's my question, though:
1: You could have, you know, a Russian who comes on and says, "Hi, I'm John S seven four five two five six nine, and I'm from Iowa, and I hate Trump, right? Or I hate Hillary, whatever, because they're arguing for discourse. I'm guessing more than anything, Um, their look is for chaos more than an outcome, and so. How is that any different than someone setting up their own dummy accounts here in the U.S.?
0: Um, I would argue that when it's done by a foreign intelligence service, it's a different, uh, different ball. Of wax. Um, and do you and feel I,
1: that's because that they are trained in psych ops, and so they're specifically going to be saying specific, like yeah. very
0: actually no targeted <laughs> Because, In fact, that, you know, one of the the points of my presentation is actually pretty clumsy about it. Um, you could kind of tell in a lot of these cases, the, the broken grammar, um, the various... Oh, uh, the, yes,
1: we've seen that.
0: Operating, operating during Moscow business hours, uh, <laughs> sometimes having foreign area codes and the phone numbers attached to their account. You know, little uh, the one of the points I keep going back to in the, the presentation was that th- these are not geniuses. They are not 10 feet tall. Um, I didn't want to overstate it, but I also didn't want to understate it. Um, now, it's also worth, you know, one of the things that's been kind of satisfying to report is that Um, The Internet Research Agency, which is based in St. Petersburg, uh, went into work on Election Day 2018, the midterm elections, and no one in the building could access the Internet for 48 hours. They just Mm -hmm. couldn't connect. Um, Now, we don't know exactly why that happened. It could have been Pentagon Cyber Command. It could have been the National Security Agency. It could have been that Boris tripped over a wire somewhere. Um, My suspicion is it definitely was the NSA and Cyber Command. But anyway... um, (laughs) We don't know who did it. It was totally us. Anyway, um, and that's, you know, so we have ways to push back. Now, the question is, if you do that enough times to the Russians, do they start doing their own countermeasures uh, against that? But, you know, there was much less of this in 2018. So we have that option. Mm -hmm. Um, The point that I really wanted to go to, that I was trying to emphasize to these, but I I set up, you know, fantastic audiences, but speak to the uh, Austrian uh, National Defense Academy, uh, kind of their equivalent of West Point or Annapolis. Um, Ooh. yes, the you know, guys in uniform coming in and saluting each other as i you know, that was, was it, that was my first presentation. I was kind of intimidated. Once that one went well, I felt pretty good about how everything else was going to go. Uh, well, let
1: me ask you this. It, <laughs> it is my understanding though, as you're ready to give this fabulous presentation on the Russian interference, um, and, <laughs> and hacking of, um, potential emails and things of that nature. Um, that you had a special guest appear.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's so uh, the, the second presentation <clears throat> was at an organization called the uh, Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe, uh, OSCE, and it is the largest international institution that is focused entirely on security issues. Uh, basically, every major country in Europe, the United States is part of it, uh, Canada is part of it, um, most of the North African countries are, and uh, and Russia is a part of it. And so I get there. Uh, I talk chatting with the nice organizers. The uh, U.S. delegation and the Canadian delegation uh, uh, co-sponsored my talk, so or co-hosted. So thanks to the, my Canadian friends, I I raise my glass of Molsons to you. Um, but uh, they say, oh, so when we do this, we try not to tar- target any one particular member nation.
1: <laughs> so as you're
0: discussing the 2016 election, do you do you particularly discuss any one country? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of do, um, you know, trying to talk about 2016 and not focus on Russia is kind of like being asked to talk about the, uh, the, the New Testament and not mention Jesus, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of central to the story there. Um, now I do talk a bit about Iran and some other countries that did it. But uh, so, like, you know, oh, and then they look over the, the uh, folks who had RSVP'd. And the second person to RSVP to my talk was from the Russian delegation. And so there all of a sudden Ooh. there's you know, people getting a little yeah. So I'm sitting there thinking oh so am I, am I just gonna get polonium soup or something or a I was just wondering
1: like how you made it home safely.
0: Yeah. So I'm not and so the things like you know, this like I can't change what I'm presenting, but now I'm thinking like are they gonna stand up and object? Are they gonna, you know, uh, throw Poison things, me. right? You know, am I gonna, you know, die in a mysterious accident twenty-four hours later? Mm-hmm. Uh, we go over it and we figure out the person who is from the Russian delegation is not terribly high ranking. Um, so the, the, you know, someone from the Canadian delegation says, look, she's just here to take notes and report back. And I say, and to put me on a list. And he's like, oh yeah, you're definitely going to be on the list. So I was so like, she's
1: just there to put you on a list and poison you a little bit. Well, you know, just uh, the, the to be
0: poisoned someday list. So, uh, yes, I probably have some FSB file on me somewhere. Like that. But,
1: uh, that is so exciting.
0: Safe and you're almost no- like
1: a like spy person now. Very cool. Very <laughs> so- trendy right now.
0: It was the first time in which I was, you know, I began my talk by emphasizing I was speaking as a private citizen. I'm not there on behalf of the United States government, but but I did feel like I was representing my country uh, to international audiences. And it was, it it was, it was intriguing. It was, I was, I was thrilled with the reception. Lots of good questions. Lots of, you know, my biggest fear had been um, for those who think, you know, I don't have fantastic sources at the NSA or, you know. Uh, you know, Facebook or everything I was doing was from public reports, but it was public reports that generally had not been, you know, you might have read one or two, you know, headlines about or something. Um, And it's up on National Review Online, if anybody wants to get a a sense of of what I was presenting. Um, It was just kind of a soup to nuts. You know, here's what Russia did. Here's what other countries are starting to do.
1: See, you made it easy for the Russians.
0: Well, you can
1: go right to National Review and find it there.
0: Here's what we know <laughs> about what you did. Um, and actually it's you know just right before we started uh, uh, taping today I was the Iranians did new stuff um, imitating candidates on Twitter in 2018 Mickey, that was kind of surprised to learn about this mm. uh, and they managed to get a whole bunch of letters to the editor uh, and other things submitted to places like the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and the Seattle Times and fairly. Is it really
1: that surprising? Do well, people even write letters to the editor? I mean, I'm assuming the Russians are probably fifty percent of those.
0: Well, there's, so here's the great question, which is, you know, on the one hand, this is very, this is Iranians, by the way. So you know, the question, okay, sorry, is, is it, you know, again, no, your average newspaper, it's not going to spend any that much effort, time and effort trying to verify that somebody who wrote a letter to the editor really is who they say they are. Um, but so the question is, you know, oh my God, is this a really bad thing if you've got? Uh, individuals connected to the Iranian government putting their messages in letters to the editor of major U.S. newspapers. On the other hand, how much how much, how much much value is that?
1: <laughs> right. I mean, I don't even know what that means at this point. Again, I don't know who still writes letters to the editor. There aren't that many local papers out there.
0: I mean, somewhere um, at Vivak, which is the Iranian intelligence agency, uh, some, someone there is getting some sort of report. Boss, I got letters to the Los Angeles Times. And, you know, somebody, oh, that sounds very good. And I realized. You know
1: I'm what saying. this all sounds like, Jim? Excellent material for one of your Ah, upcoming novels. Yes, yes.
0: In fact, uh, you picked up on it very well, Mickey, that uh, Vivak, the Iranian intelligence agency, does play a factor in my new novel, uh, Between Two Scorpions. You can find it on Amazon, and and that's about the only place you can find it. Uh, Between Two Scorpions is being published by an imprint of of Amazon. Uh, This means that for now, it is only available through Amazon. It could change at some point in the future. Uh, it is available in Kindle and ebook form and also in paperback. It ships out on June 11th. It is available for pre-order. Um, people who, uh, you know, on the one hand, Mickey, I am more nervous about this than anything else I've ever done before.
1: I am so excited for you because you. I think that it's probably your best work.
0: Oh, thank you, Mickey. That's, you know. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it is not, in my mind, it's not that political. Uh, some folks might, uh, actually, you know what, you think about all the pop culture topics we've discussed on this podcast. Mm-hmm. They probably get referred to in one way or another. I, no I am kidding. Very, <laughs> right? there's, there, there's a lot of pop culture literacy amongst my, my good guy characters and you know, wisecracking and. Uh, oh, uh, it's yeah.
1: almost like they were inspired.
0: Yeah, yeah, there there is. And by the way, for those wondering, nobody in this book is, in, is based on Mickey <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't have thoughts on a Mickey character. <laughs> I'm just going to leave at that. Uh, the plan is for this to be a series. If you pre-order, it makes it more likely there'll be a series. Uh, yes,
1: pre-order now. I can't wait to see my character come to life.
0: Oh yes, no. There, so I, I thought there's a right. Actually, you know, this is you know the thing you only get on the Jim and Mickey show. So my idea was to have so but the team. It's the book is about a small CIA team. Um, gets report of a terror group that's, that's targeting the United States and using very different tactics, very different styles. It doesn't really fit any previous existing terror group, um, and they have very unorthodox methods. And you know, it's they're a little bit like the, the gang from Firefly or Alias or or uh, Mission Impossible. You know, everybody's got some specialty or something. Um, but things don't always go according to plan. So one of the ideas I've thought about is having a character. And we'll call the character like Mini White or something like that. <laughs> um, and, Mini and the, Gray this person's job would be to come up with the cover stories for when they accidentally blow up the wrong truck or something like that. <laughs> or, you know, I love it. it. Might have been uh, uh, Dateline MS- NBC blowing up those four trucks again or something like that. Or uh, you know, some, somebody who is very media literate whose job is to come up with explanations for why <laughs> people get shot out of nowhere and, and things like that. Yeah.
1: I find it hilarious that this is the character that you see, and I love it. So I support <laughs> Minnie Gray 100% or what do we uh-huh. end up calling her? I love it. Um, so, everyone, Many again, go shades out.
0: Shades of Grey. <laughs> yes.
1: Love it. Um, so, everyone, please go to Amazon. It's between two scorpions, and uh, I think you guys are going to love it.
0: And be- I'm so Thank excited you for doing so I don't have to come across as the person who's relentlessly plugging it and, and telling. it.
1: Dude, it's it's your baby. And, I mean, and this, you know, again, as you know, I as I know, and as our listeners are finding out, that you actually have a million stories up in that head involving these characters, and if things go well, they'll all get published.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it also, also, I should warn people, actually, for people who are like, okay, you know, Jim's the light, fluffy, happy one, and Mickey's the one who's got dark, scary stuff in it. Um, I got plenty of like you know crazy killers and, and bloodthirsty cults and, and stuff like that in this one. So it's. This, I would it's, just of like to say is, is, that is I have things. been
1: an excellent influence on Jim. Yeah. When <laughs> it comes to the darker side of life, and I feel like it's reflected in this particular piece of work. So.
0: So speaking of the darker side of life, um, so you had said so we're, we're we're going through Netflix looking for stuff, and so did you watch that recent Ted Bundy movie on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. First of all, you can't say they didn't have truth in advertising. With okay, movie first like of that. all, I,
1: I need you to understand that I'm really glad that you read that title because even though I'm the one who watched the movie, I can't remember it, couldn't tell you what it was if my life depended on it. If they were like, Mickey, you have to say this, or we're going to like set you on fire, I'd be like, mm, something with wicked, evil... Yeah, no idea. Something so,
0: evil and bad comes this, you know, this way comes. Um, but my, I, I was shocked to see. So, am I correct that Zach Efron plays Ted Bundy?
1: Yes. Wow. You know,
0: how? How does that work? Oh Yes. Zac-
1: Shiloh's reaction. That was my reaction, Shiloh. You yeah. know. Yes, that was Shiloh, of course. Um, yes, that is correct. Zach Efron plays. Ted Bundy. Now, what's really important about this particular story is that it is based on the book of his Mm. then-girlfriend, Elizabeth, I can't remember her last name right now, and the title, which again is very confusing and long, is actually based on what the judge said about him when he was being sentenced in Mm. Florida. Now, it's
0: and, uh, for those who don't te- you know, remember correctly, Ted Bundy was dressed up like a clown, right?
1: Yes. There, there were a lot of issues with getting Ted Bundy um, to actually stand trial because ultimately he escaped from Colorado. And by the time he made it to Florida, he was wanted in several other states. But when he committed murder in Florida, they went after him with the death penalty and they decided to try him there first. In trying him there first, the other states decided not to go through the process of doing a trial, but instead were able to get him tied to many cases that they were able to theoretically close. But one of the really upsetting stories of the victims of Ted Bundy is that many of their families never got what you would even consider justice because they never even got a trial. They basically got notification that their loved one's case may have been tied to Ted Bundy. But he would not necessarily be tried. He was never tried in Oregon, Washington, Utah, Colorado. Um, and I believe Indiana was another one of those states as well. And obviously, and, and, and California. Um, none of those states. And he, we know that he had victims in all of them. So that's very troubling. But the thing about it was, is what Florida decided is we are not going to let him get away. And this is going to be it. So um, it became very important, I guess, the focus of this book is kind of seeing it from this side, or this particular movie is based on the book, is seeing it from the side of his girlfriend, which is really difficult to do. Because primarily you're looking at a story where there's no killing. Mm. Um, she Because she never witnessed him actually killing thing, him, killing anyone. The stories are kind of told from these, like, back-and-forth moments of, you know, what she's aware of and what she isn't aware of. Um, this story does no favors to anyone involved. I felt like it was incredibly cast, but it, it left a lot on the table.
0: Mm. Um, I, I was going to say, because there's always this question of, like, when you, you know, uh, I know there's that... Uh, my friend dahmer uh movie that's coming out the, the fear that you're glamorizing it the fear of when you make a movie about a serial killer particularly a real life one are you adding you know, what what are you bringing new to the table um Mickey Day, as somebody who's kind of a connoisseur of the genre mm-hmm.
1: did you bring any what 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 if
0: anything did it bring new to the table
1: nothing ah. um I was really disappointed in this movie. I felt again that it was exceptionally well cast it was exceptionally poorly written it was. Terrible script. So, I, it was one of those things that was by far one of the most difficult um, things that I have that I have ever really dealt. As far as watching a Ted Bundy story, and you have no discussion of his crimes, mm. no discussion of any of the things that he has done. Um, to these many, many victims, and that was unsettling. But then on top of it, you almost, if you didn't know enough about the case or the story, it is completely possible that you would not know that you are watching a story that has been proven that Mm. he is definitely guilty Yeah. There is no question. It's not up for debate. This isn't a mystery. The problem, I think, is that this story was done by the same guy who did the Ted Bundy tapes. Mm. And those were exceptionally well done and they were true. Yeah. Now, there was no need. Yeah. 100% nonfiction. Well done. But you can also tell that this particular director slash writer also clearly has a crush on Ted Bundy. And it comes across in this movie as being almost like, oh, he could have been just a misunderstood guy, you know, like it it was very odd. There were very odd ways that he, the story was told. It was very odd. It was, it was odd to the point of, like I said, being uncomfortable in the, it's not that they didn't tell the truth about him, but they left a lot out.
0: Yeah, and at the
1: end, I would have to say that I found myself thinking, "Why did they make this
0: movie?" Yeah, that's the. I would argue, particularly if you're going to make a story about someone who is indisputably evil, I'd like your movie to be have a little bit more of a message than, "Boy, wasn't this guy evil?"
1: <laughs> you know, like yeah, like, it it was, know, was very like, odd because it was bad. almost yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was almost like they were trying to say like. See, if you knew from the perspective that, you know, one, I feel like they should have been more clear that it was from her perspective kind of starting out. I think that would have been a more interesting way to tell the story. But as I as I started thinking about this, I'm like, God, am I the only one who thinks this is such a horrible movie? Because, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a connoisseur of the genre. I love true crime. I've done tons of research into all these stupid things because I don't know why. I have no idea why. I have a sick fascination with it. And so I find myself going through podcasts and there's one that I like. um, It's like true crime writers on. And these are people who actually write true crime novels and true crime Mm -hmm. columns. And they get together and talk about different things that are either happening in the news or in pop culture related to true crime. And they had an episode on this movie. And so I decided to listen to it just to see if I was completely off base. And ultimately, they just they gave it a split two thumbs up, two thumbs down. Um, between the four of them, and the two that gave them thumbs up were basically like, hey, if you like Ted Bundy or serial color things, you can go ahead and watch it. You're just not going to learn anything from it. Um, which is not exactly what it would call a thumbs up in my book, but whatever. Um, the other two were much more clear and in line with kind of the things that I had just told you guys. So I feel like this was something that was a miss for Netflix. I'm sure it was a package deal with this writer-director, um, but it just wasn't very good. And if Mm. you're going to watch something of interest and involves Ted Bundy, go ahead and watch the tapes. Um, the, the nonfiction version, because this version is weak.
0: You know, there was a, it's a, out of all, first of all, I, I, in the course of doing research for uh, a future, one of these novels, I came across a site that tries to keep track of every single missing person's case in the, uh, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, um, listeners cover your ears. Holy shit! Are there a lot of people? <laughs> who, you yeah. know, who have disappeared. So, first of all, you think about the idea of serial killers—they get arrested, and they don't know if they've, you know, if confessed to all of the, uh, mm-hmm. all of the victims. That the the thought that, you know, first of all, um, look, life is full of all kinds of tragedies. I think the idea of having somebody disappear and not know what happened to them has to be one of the ones that's got to be most painful because you don't even get that closure. You don't even get that sense of uh, you know, you're, you're, you're left not knowing for, you know, Oh,
1: absolutely. I feel for those families, you know, because they really do not know what happened to their loved ones. So they don't know if, you know, they've managed to somehow survive and are living somewhere else under a completely different life, or if they have been dead since the day they, they, they disappeared. Um, And the, the vast difference between the two and the gray area in the middle You know, you have the stories where the people are found and they were clearly killed the minute they were, you know, had disappeared. And maybe they just fell off a cliff or they were taken and murdered. Or you have the people that like J.C. Ducard, who was returned to her parents after almost 18 years. Um, So when you have those kind of things happen, people always have to have hope Mm. and hope Uh is good. But hope can also be really painful.
0: Um, my, my observation about that is that if you're going to do, again, my suspicion is that there are certain serial killers in in real life that if you're going to make a film about, you know, I I feel like we know Manson well, I I could be wrong. I feel like I know that if you're going to do something with these well-known figures, um, boy, you better bring something really compelling to the table.
1: Well, and good that you mentioned that because this is the 50th anniversary of the LaBianca Tate murders or Tate LaBianca murders. And uh, those are also the Manson killings, for those of you who are not familiar with the victim, the primary victim's last names. um, It's the 50th anniversary, and Hollywood has three, count them, one, two, three movies coming out about it.
0: Mm. Um, There's Once
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Leonardo DiCaprio and Friends, and that's a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's one with Hilary Duff called The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Uh And and it's more of like a horror movie, because I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not, but Sharon Tate had actually had um, a really bad dream um, a couple months prior to to her death, where she dreamed that she was being stabbed or something, but she was being murdered um, in her home. And she woke up in a fever panic and told people about it. Um, And this is a movie that I will tell you straight up her family is not supporting at all. They find it to be exploitive, and they haven't even seen it yet. So, Mm -hmm. but other people, you know, it it all depends on what you're into. I guess if you're into a horror version of it, go see it. Um, And then there is a third version that seems to be more just like a retelling of the story. And I can't even remember that one. I can't remember when that one was called. That one might even just called Manson or something like Mm that. Um,
0: I I marvel that if you're going to have, you know, multiple projects going forward or something like that. The story that actually, as we were having this conversation, I'm looking this up. Um, my understanding is that there has not been other than a 1980 made for TV movie. Maybe you would know this. Mickey, has there been a good big screen material on Jonestown and Jim Jones? No. All right. Doesn't that there seem was like a if,
1: movie that was made for TV, the one you're talking about, I'm guessing. Yeah. Hours
0: Booth played him, right? It was just, yes. You know. And
1: that was the most famous James, or I'm sorry, Jonestown movie that was ever done.
0: Um, because if you're, if, you know, and again, something I've researched and hint, hint for possibly a future book someday, Um, you want to talk about a, like, it really, you know,
1: how I feel about Jonestown. It's the reason I don't like the saying that people use all the time about quote, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I think that people are very, very, um, callous and casual with the death of nearly a thousand people Mm. at the hands of an absolute psychopath.
0: Yeah. Um, and and the other thing, which I, to me, what I thought it would be great fertile material for a. Movie. Uh, mm. First of all, there's a really good book about uh, Jim Jones that came out a couple years ago that have been uh, again may feature in some future fiction writing uh, this, this subject. But the idea of how much Jim Jones had ingratiated himself into mainstream California politics, and oh, there, are couple, absolutely. there are some people in our world who will you know point ah oh, it was all California Democrats, and it was you know. Um, but, you know, Dianne Feinstein, Jerry Brown, names that are still around.
1: Oh, yeah. They're, like,
0: having their pictures taken with Jim Jones. Jim Jones, like, apparently had a lot He like, had become, like, a Roswell pop Carter. culture
1: icon out there before he yes. had moved everyone to Guyana. So. And so,
0: like, so people say, ah, ha, ha, you know. Like, like to me, the point of this is not, yeah, yeah, Democrats, you know, got suckered by the psychopath. Although no, you
1: because I will be happy to point out that Ted Bundy volunteered at the Republican Committee. So
0: There we go. We're one for one. But to me, I think it's more intriguing about how long people saw kind of what they wanted to see in Jim Jones and that there are certain people who did recognize that there was something cult-like going on um, and that his exertion of control over his followers was – uh heading into some sinister directions and to me like like to me that's a there, there's there's great drama there right there there's a great story to be told there and in fact it has been oh told. yes I think, I think it's called the road to jonestown and it's sitting either on my desk or in that giant pile of books I, in my office um, it is it's
1: just one of those stories about people and human nature that i feel like is timeless even though it took place in the late 70s um One, there was definitely a bump in cult activity at that time. Mm. You had all of those flower children that were just so easily taken advantage of, apparently, by everyone. Um, But that was a big part of it, was the drug culture. Because these people were mentally impaired because of all the drugs that they were taking. They had all of this money in many cases. They met someone who said, look, I'm going to tell you things that make you smarter, wiser, better than everyone else. And ultimately ends up taking all their money and cutting them off from everyone just like every other cult does. Now the thing about him was that he had originally woven Christianity into his mm-hmm. cult. Oh yeah, that's you know. It was a big part of his cult. It and was it a wasn't and you know? yeah. oh absolutely. Maybe and not the kind of church an, you know, I would The say. people's church <laughs> oh. is what it was called actually. Yeah. The people's church. Um, because he played into socialism. Like, that was a big part of what he wanted was equality for all people. And in his Jonestown society, it was supposed to be a utopian, so, you know, socialist utopian society, which, of course, he was the ruler of. And as he descended into madness, it's pretty clear in every, you know, book that I've read and story that I've been told or watched on it was that he had descended into madness, you know, accompanied by a lot of drugs. Yeah, he had pharmaceutical yeah. accompaniment down the hill, and in that path of madness, it became instead of you know he actually had his followers calling him father because he had decided that he was the deity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they, and they yeah. were so in deep at that point that they went along with it. So you know there's there's a lot of lessons to be learned in Jonestown, um, and you're right, I think it's very rich for storytelling.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, get on that Hollywood. So. Um, Well, again, they're not going to tell that
1: story though. We talk about this all the time. They have favorites. Like there are some really scary serial killers out there that Hollywood will not touch. Now, I don't know if it's because they don't have anyone to purchase the rights from. They haven't found the right book on the topic or what, but I will tell you this. I feel like, I feel like it's, it's very odd when I find myself comparing Manson to White Earp. But I think it's weird that you know, just like when Wired Earth came out, the same time Tombstone came out. Yeah, yeah. That it felt odd to me that there were all of these Manson movies coming out at the same time.
0: Hmm. Hey, okay. And my my understanding is, that, you know, a studio decides to greenlight one, and this other studio that's had their own project on the same subject says, "Oh, wait a second, we need our own meteor crash mm-hmm. movie coming too." You know. Um, Oh, well, we've we've dealt with some very dark topics, Mickey. So I'm going to move on from serial killers to serial daters. Mm-hmm. Keep me up to speed. So it's Bachelorette now, right? It's now Correct. the it's the hussy, right? It's the
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it is the Bachelorette. Um, her name is Hannah B. Actually, it's Hannah Brown, but she was previously on The Bachelor with Colton. She was one of my favorites by far. Okay. Um, with the guy, and in fact, I she made it into kind of the top but ultimately um obviously was not his first choice and she's amazing. Like she's hilarious. She is the only can the only issue I have with all of this is I really hope that they don't expect them to like actually get engaged and married afterwards because I feel like they're too young. Mm-hmm. Um although having said that, it's very sweet to see some of these younger people and it's not all of them, but some of them actually take a real interest in the idea of having a family and life because that's something she's very focused on. Mm. Um, she's an Alabama girl through and through, and she has made it very clear that one of the things she wants to do is get married and have a family um, and a big family. And she wants to live in Nashville and. Um, and so all of these guys are kind of competing for that position, obviously, with her. Um, who's going to be this guy? And it's hilarious because, one, every time you've got a girl involved as the actual bachelorette, now you've got all these dudes living in a house together. And if there's nothing that is unnatural about it, it's this, like, it's not a frat house because, keep in mind, they're all trying to date the same chick. Mm. And so while on the Bachelor you have a lot of the Girls kind of pairing off and becoming Friends and groups or whatever like They're hanging out when they're not with the Bachelor because they might Only see him one day a week Right so Mm -hmm. the other six Days of the week they hang out with each other And so you have a lot of these bonds of friendship Coming and you know you're going to have a couple guys Here and there that bond but for the most part, when you have all of them there at one time, you know, you're talking like 13, 14 guys, up to 20 guys at the beginning, living in one house at the same time. I'm always amazed that more of them don't punch each other.
0: Yeah. Because you know, the there's always
1: one dick.
0: Mm. No, that, like, that's, You know, that's, who's,
1: that's who's, there's this guy who just gets on your nerves. And in this particular case, it was the guy. That they had introduced her to right after the rose ceremony finale when they announced that she was the bachelorette. And he was the guy that she gave her very first rose ever to. His name was Cam. He did this little rap and he was funny and she was very nervous and she gave him her very first rose ever. And it was kind of a funny little thing. And then by the time he showed up on the show, he was a nutcase. And I'm not sure how everything went down or how he became a crazy person. But I will tell you this. He looked completely different. Like, he'd grown out facial hair differently and whatnot. And he had decided that her definitely, like, she had said she wanted someone who would be bold and someone who would be crazy and passionate and in love with her. And love her fiercely. And um, they're literally, like, he has literally said, I don't know six or seven times, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to do something bold. And then does something that I would just refer to as being an asshole. Like, walking in on other guys with their, like, little secret private time. Because they all go off and they have, like, their little five minutes of talky-talk with her. And that's basically when she decides whether or not she's going to move him through the next round. Well, he would just keep walking up on people and be like, I I need to talk to her. What I need to say to her is really important. I need. I feel like I need to talk to her about this right now. And... One of the guys blew up his situation and went into her this week and said, look, this cam guy, like, he is not here for you. He's here because he's enjoying hanging out with all the dudes and partying and whatever. And, like, I'm pretty sure he's going to come tell you a really sad story just so that he can stay here another week. And she's like, he already did. <laughs> and she's, and he's like, I'm telling you. And so he had come and actually told her this story where it was ultimately like his leg was about to be amputated and then he found out that his grandmother died and he had to rehome his puppy my and... life turned
0: into a country song yeah
1: I mean it was literally all of the stuff and he's like just telling her waiting for a reaction and she's like uh-huh and then he'd like add another layer and she's like, okay. Because you could already tell she wasn't believing it. It didn't sound believable. When he was saying it, it sounded like he was making it up on the spot. And as it turns out, he very well may have been.
0: Um, is, is the declaration, I'm going to be bold, another way of saying I'm not going to be honest?
1: I don't know. <laughs> because he the felt, truth felt like could be making boring. these overtures was a way of being bold and romantic. And yet it was still so exceptionally rude.
0: Hmm. Um, do you feel like people judge the bachelorette differently than the bachelor?
1: Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, and I say this because Hannah, God, I love this girl. She is very open about her sexuality. Um, she has no problem, you know, making physical contact with the men that she's attracted to. And mm. God bless her. I respect that. Um, I, I'm all about it. So I have no problem with it, but I know she's taken some grief because she, you know, the first night she almost made out. Um and so it was one of those things that you you look and you're like, Hannah, don't do it with him on the first night. Like, wait, <laughs> wait. Um, but you could tell that she was really getting swept up in the moment, having a good time. And the guy that she did this with is a guy named Luke P, who I have decided that he is either the one or a stalker. And <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you right Such now. A fine line. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you right now, four weeks in, or whatever we are now, three, four weeks in, I'm leaning towards Stalker. All right. Um, he's obsessive. He didn't seem to understand the concept of the show in any way, shape, or form. He um, How many he people go on seem... to the
0: show who don't understand what it's about? That's uh, pretty rare.
1: I, yeah, but it seems to happen a lot more. At least once a season, someone comes on and realizes, like, hey, this person I like is going to be dating other people. And they're going to probably, like, go on dates with them and kiss them in front of me. And, you know, and ultimately, I think that Luke P. thought that after the first night, she would just be like, okay, we're done. I've found him.
0: (laughs) Sorry, ABC. You only get one. uh...
1: (laughs) And he became physically irritated and agitated whenever um, she was close with someone else or gave someone else a rose. Again, making me question whether he understood what show he was on. Like and,
0: I was hoping she was gonna skip,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. So ultimately, she did end up sending Cam the douchebag home, which gave me reasserted faith in Hannah B, who I love. Um, and I hope that she does find something that she, you know, has a good time and maybe gets some career out of this. I really hope that she doesn't marry any of these guys unless they turn out to be much better than what they've made their first impressions.
0: Well, I say, take your time. ABC doesn't mind; they need the programming. So
1: right. <laughs> They'll do Bachelor 2 with her.
0: There you go. I, when she's she, old
1: enough to get married.
0: They, aren't there enough uh, situations where, you know, like, Didn't like wasn't there some year where somebody didn't choose because they're like, actually, I don't like any of these guys. Bring them on. <laughs> you know, I'm super picky.
1: Yes. There were. There have been different things that I have watched um, where we have had a situation where they're like, you know what, this, this wasn't right. Or more to the point, I, they had picked one and then changed their mind. That Mm -hmm. happened with Ari. Uh, He picked one, changed his mind, and proposed the second one. And they got married and just had a baby. So apparently that works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Colton uh. dropped out of the whole process. So apparently he thought she was going to be like Colton. And be like, oh, I found the one I want. I don't need to do this anymore on week one. (laughs) But they are teasing an actual fist fight coming up. So I'm super excited about that.
0: That would be be kind of fun. All right, so Mickey, outside my window, I'm seeing a giant thunderstorm start to bear down on Authenticity Woods. So I think it's, we should wrap unless my uh, before my internet gets knocked out. Um, absolutely,
1: and you know what? It's probably a good time to wrap anyway, as we have probably run a little bit long here. But I just want to thank all of our listeners, and thank you, Jim, for getting together with me again. I love doing this, and uh, I'm so proud of all the things that you have going on right now. And um, thank you to our listeners for staying with us and coming back week after week when we we make it available to you. Um, you can always find us on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us at... Um, Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. And of course on Twitter, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just look for the Jim and Mickey show or hashtag T T J A M S. And on Twitter, I am at bias Girl. He is at Jim Garrity and you can hook us up anytime with questions or pictures or ideas for the show. Thanks again for listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show.